Sports. I am Brad Franklin, publisher of CapsCorner.com, coming to you live from the Palatial Franklin Estates in the West End of Richmond, where it is Wednesday, October the 3rd. We are finally into the month of October. The weather does not know that yet. Um, it's going to be summer forever. Um, and no, we're not uh, going to be fielding your climate change jokes. Um, so Virginia's on a bye this week, which does not mean we get to take a bye. We, we still have to do this podcast because Brad needs content. Um, we're going to talk about the loss at NC State, and we're going to kind of Ferber's going to have a piece later in the week a little bit about sort of where Virginia is as the Cavaliers come out of their bye with the Coastal Division slate locked in front of them plus Liberty. Um, and so we'll, we'll get into more of maybe some specifics about um, maybe some things that they can do or they have to do differently and sort of what's worked and what hasn't. Tonight we're going to get into a little bit more of sort of um, checking expectations before the season to this point and kind of talking a little bit about um, where we where we think this thing goes. Um, so let's get started. Up in Fishersville, David Spence is on the show. How are you, my friend? Doing okay, Brad. I feel a little twilight zone today. Like We're in October. My Twitter feed is the Capitals win the Stanley Cup, and Francisco's got a leg injury. feels a little weird. At Who Day's on the board, at Who Day's on Twitter. <laughs> and up in Arlington, the aforementioned uh, Justin Ferber is also on the show. Trying, He's going to pr- try his best to pay attention to us while also watching – uh, the Caps. How are you, my friend? <laughs> I'm doing good. I am in Arlington, as you said, 402 miles away from the Spectrum Center in Charlotte, North Carolina. Not that that's related to anything at all. Oh at Justin God. underscore Ferber on Twitter. He did not. He did. Oh, we're not going to explain it. Okay, Caps Corner also on Twitter. Cavs underscore Corner. Great place for the in-game updates, content items, and the occasional witty banter. Um, okay, so Virginia goes down to Raleigh. We had a, like sort of a fascinating discussion, and I, I don't like for us to get too deep into like what we talk about offline because I don't think that that makes for like compelling content. But I think we we sort of had a fascinating discussion the other day when I started breaking down the grades, and I was talking to you guys like, "Oh man, this is not good," and I started kind of showing you guys some some of the stuff I was pulling. And Ferber made a really interesting point. I think it was Ferber. If it was you, Dave, I apologize now. But I think it was Ferber who made the really interesting point, which was like, "And yeah, and they were still in the game, like even still, like." Knowing all of the ba- like all of the yuck, right? The big bucket of yuck that was a lot of those grades. They were still not that out of it. Um, I guess that's where I want to start. As you look back, Dave, on this loss, what's sort of the overarching thing that sticks with you? Uh, is is it? Can you really view it as a missed opportunity, or is it just um, a nice sort of frame and explanation of like where the team is right now? Yeah, I think it can be both. Um... So one thing I've found over over the many years of doing this podcast as the football team has struggled is that losses are you know your viewpoint on a loss changes between the gate final whistle and when you do the podcast. Um, I have personally found it. We've talked about it before. I personally find it helpful to wait a day or two after a loss and then rewatch the game. So um, I mean, coming out of the game emotionally, you know, I felt like we got kind of we got dominated on. On, on the lines of scrimmage um, and that, you know, the defense was kind of unsure itself and the, and the running game wasn't good. Um, and that's what I saw in the rewatch, but the game was so much closer than you remember it by the time the game ends when you're emotionally attached to it. Like, let's not NC state dominate the line of scrimmage, but Virginia did enough to be in the game with a minute and 51 seconds left in the first half. It was 10-7 NC State, and we stopped them on fourth down. You can tell me all day long that <laughs> they made it, but they didn't. Um, and from that point, that minute and 51 before the end of the half, all of a sudden it's 20-7, to 7 and the whole outcome, 
the whole trajectory of the game changes. And it, you know, obviously Virginia scored late and then got an onside kick and had a chance to score again um, and didn't. But second half, it was 15-14 NC State. First half, it was 20-7. to And 13 of those points came in that last minute in 51. So despite their dominance on both lines of scrimmage, Virginia was there, whether that was scheme or coaching or anything else. Um, and if you want to break it down even further, when you start looking at the touchdowns they did score, um, the first one, like Brenton had a jump on that ball and if he was three or four inches taller you know if he had Quinn Blanding size he probably gets that pick because the guy bounces off of him not the other way around um and then I think it was their second and their second touchdown um Snyder had good coverage and Finley Peace Finley kind of made a hip move and Peace had to stop charging full speed if Peace hadn't stopped he would have sacked Finley before he got the ball there so so close but uh, so I, th- I do think it's both. You, you've got to be able to be more competitive on the line of scrimmage than we saw Saturday. But at the same time, like despite all that, Virginia was right there. A couple of plays change, and they might walk out of there with a win. I don't want to, to do the Bizdelic thing. Remember when, when, Wake, when Wake had Bizdelic, and he'd be like, yeah, if you take out that 22 to nothing run, like we were right in the game. Uh, I don't want to do that. But Ferber, I, I do feel like that, despite some obvious issues in the trenches and despite some of the worst numbers, I mean, the worst numbers I've seen um, since, you know, this whole season, it's certainly, as you look at it, feels like Virginia, maybe Bronco said it best when he said that, essentially, that Virginia was was good enough to make it interesting but not good enough to win the game. What do you take away from Virginia's effort in Raleigh and and how do you sort of characterize what, like what, um, like what sort of, um, level of, rea- of like was it realistic for them to actually win that game? I mean, yeah, yes and no. Um, like Dave said, I mean they were in a position; they were in the game at the end of the first half. Uh, even if they, you know, they gave up that conversion, which obviously was suspect at best. I mean, it didn't seem like he got it to me, but um, giving up a touchdown there instead of a field goal clearly hurt. Um, and obviously that's why they went for it. You know, I mean, they were on like the 12 or whatever it was. Uh, they could have went up 13 to, to seven and, you know, if they kicked the field goal, but they chose to go for it because they understood the difference in the score. I mean, that puts them up two scores instead of one. And, you know, UVA get the ball back at the end of the half and ended up giving away three more points. But just because, you know, they were in the game, that doesn't mean that necessarily that's how the game would have played out had, had like you know, let's say they went into half ten seven or thirteen seven. I don't know that that necessarily means UVA would have won the game or even been closer than they ended up being because obviously in the second half, NC State had one drive where they ended up putting the ball in the end zone on a throw. Um, but other than that, I mean, they ran the ball a ton in the second half and and uh, and except for on third downs, you know, when they needed to convert, um, they were the better team. I mean, we kind of knew that going in. We talked about it last week on the podcast, and they were at home. Uh, and UVA didn't play their best game, but uh, th- they've done some things in years past that would have been much worse. I mean, we kind of talked about that a little bit last week about how, or this week about, you know, previous UVA teams might have lost that game, you know, 45-10 or 38-10. Um, but they kind of kept it close and, you know, really they threw away two red zone trips. Uh, didn't come away with any points in the second half and. Obviously, they could have gotten field goals off those drives, but that wouldn't have really made any sense uh, given the situation. So, um, you know, the score is one thing. I think they did some good things on offense at times. You know, I think getting the ball to Alameda obviously is a huge 
boost for the offense, and they were able to do that. And Bryce made a few plays on his own that kind of kept drives alive and, uh, you know, let them keep things going when maybe Kurt wouldn't have been able to make those plays. And then, obviously, he had the two picks, one of which was much more harmful than the other. I mean, the other one, the second one was at the end of the game, and, you know, it didn't really matter at that point. But the things that kind of concern me and the things that can't continue if they want to be good against these teams like NC State are the complete lack of pass rush um, and the, you know, the defensive, you know, allowing – if you, you can't allow any offense to get eight of 13 on third down. And obviously NC state was very good at that coming into the game. That was, they were one of the best teams in the country. And we wrote about that last week about, you know, how good they were on third downs, but um, the pass rush was, was concerning. And obviously in the second half uh, they made a concerted effort to kind of go more exotic and get more guys in the backfield besides the line. Cause the line wasn't getting it done. And then the run defense. I mean, the run defense was, was unexpectedly bad against a team that hadn't really shown a lot on the ground. To that point so i mean obviously you're going to want to see improvements there but you know miami and and a couple other you know virginia tech they have guys that can make you pay too if if you know you play like this and that might not be the case against teams like north carolina or liberty or whoever but um you know if you want to compete with the best teams on your schedule you have to be more consistent on defense than what we saw yeah i would i would agree with that i think too to to ferber's point about the um the pass rush uh, being such an issue you know it's funny <clears throat> this game is very much like a Rorschach test right it's it's like on the one hand I've got the angel on one shoulder and the devil on the other and like I can sort of convince myself of pretty much anything depending on you know what what topic I'm thinking about this game is just like rife with with like all of these sort of storyline-esque sort of things like the lack of pass rush for example I wonder if because we were used to Virginia playing pretty good defense against mobile quarterbacks um, and quarterbacks who sort of at times are going to run toward that contain, like it's almost, I wonder if Virginia actually wouldn't be better off to play the dual threat. Like I remember last week thinking about this matchup. I don't know if I said it on the podcast or if it was on radio or whatever, but I was just thinking like, Hey, they've, they've dealt with weeks of having this, the a quarterback who would move around. Now they're going to have a guy who's in the pocket. That's going to be a good thing for peace and Snowden. And what realistically happened was like, they were just, it was, it, it was harder because at the time you're trying to send more of a pass rush, man, that was just opening up all kinds of stuff. Um, and, and realistically when the left entire left side of the offensive line that you just played makes the pro football focus team of the week, that's probably not a good look. Um, I thought that the gamble to take Jordan Redmond off the field and sort of combine your um, your NASCAR third down package where you've been using a two downs look with uh, Alonzo and, and Falmui and basically adding like kind of merging that with your starter look with moving uh, hand back in there. I think different guys play nose and end at different times. It just it really never it never ever felt like it was catching on. Like they those guys just never ever got. Um, any sort, I mean, like run, pass, it didn't really matter. You're dealing with injuries, and and I think we all sort of understood that Virginia was going into this thing um, a little bit, you know, obviously a little bit um, banged up, and and without you know Jordan Mack, it, you know, we it's one thing to have Zane Zandier playing like Robin, but asking him to be Batman felt like a little bit much, at least at this point in his development. Overall, Dave, as you as we sort of put the. Um, you know, put this game in the rear view. Um, what what good did you see? Like, what what signs of progress or what silver linings? Or what do you take from this game that is positive as as the Cavaliers go, you know, into the bye week and then beyond? Bryce Perkins is really good. I mean, we 
we talk about his legs, but he's becoming over the last few weeks like a very good passer. He made he made some throws, you know, Saturday that were extraordinary. Um, he had one to Dubois early in the game to on third down, I think it was, where Dubois got held terribly, got his jersey ripped off. He kind of dropped it in the basket, and then you know he hit Kelly on the tough one, he hit OZ on a tough one. Um, maybe underthrown OZ a little bit, but you know he, he's he's making passes when he. It's good to see a guy who kind of thought would rely on his legs, not get frustrated when the running game isn't there, and kind of become a passer. So that's good. Um, it was nice to see Kelly step up. OZ stepped up. Um, disappointed in the run game. Uh, I, I felt we we kept trying to pound it up to the middle. Um, if you look at not to I mean, pro football focus should start sponsoring this podcast, but. Um, when you look at their grades and you look at the rush directions, like everything was between, between the guards. Um, and it wasn't very good. Like I, they had Ellis at 29 yards rushing, I think, and 24 were after contact. So, and most of all, but one of his rushes was up the middle. Um, so I, I don't understand why we don't attack the edge more with the run game. Um, I, I'm curious to see, I know Bronco mentioned he was going to go through and kind of see what dead plays are. I know you can't take out the middle run, but, there should I'd like to see a little more outside run, defensively. But it, it was a tough game for everyone defensively. Um, I, I will say the one positive is you got a lot of young players snaps in a on the road against a very good team. So, you know, a year from now we're gonna that that experience will help. It may, maybe it's not a year, but a year from now we'll look back and be like, boy, they got a lot of experience that game. So, I don't know. Yeah, I wish I could say more positive about the defense, but. I don't think it's fair to critique the defensive backs who misplayed a couple balls and had one or two iffy calls go against them. But they're also garden guys for three or four seconds, and that's hard to do. It's funny, Dave perfectly segued me there because it's forever. I was going to ask you as we put a put a cap on NC State, um, not put a cap in them, but on them. Um, should we be concerned about UVA's secondary? Because as we talked about last week, you know. To this point in the season, to that point in the season, Virginia had had uh, a varying degree of success with the secondary. Right, the defensive backs had a very up and down first four games, and we, you know, we sort of talked about last week, right, the idea that that this was the game where they really had to really show up because not only was you know the, was the defense going to be without two starters, but like this was the this was the week when the passing game was going to come at them. And it's fair to say that the number of 50-50 balls that they didn't make play make you know make plays on um or that they didn't break up or what have you i mean it's hard to not look at this group and think that they're underperforming right now should we be concerned about them and what do you think's going on um i'm not concerned about anything i saw on saturday um i was more concerned than i thought it would be coming into that game just because of how they played against indiana and how they played against uh ohio at times and even honestly, and I think I wrote about this after the Richmond game, I thought they were kind of up and down against Richmond. I mean, Richmond didn't test them deep a lot, but they did give up a few plays underneath that went for big yards um, and left a couple guys open. But in this game, I think they really just got picked apart by an elite quarterback. Um, and like Dave said, I think, you know, I can't stress enough how bad the pass rush was. It was like non-existent. At one point I texted you guys during the game and said, that they should just drop 11 guys into coverage because there was like, it wasn't just like, Oh, well they're not getting home. It was, he's got all day to throw 
so much time that he has to collect himself and move because he's like, all right, I'm just going to get out of here. Um, but not because of pressure. <laughs> it was just he had so much time to throw. And you can't give a guy like that that much time to throw. He's just going to pick you apart. And he made a few really accurate throws. I mean, the touchdown, I think it beat Bryce Hall in the end zone the, in the second half um, in the corner. That was a great ball. Um, the one that he threw that Nelson, like you said, almost broke up, the, I think, to a Mezzi, the first one. Um, that was a really good ball. He kind of got bailed out on a couple throws um, that he didn't, you know, not throw quite perfectly in the first half, uh, a couple near interceptions. The flea flicker throw was not good, um, and they just uh, – Brent Nelson kind of misplayed it, um, and it just dropped right in. But he made a bunch of good throws, and, and th- those receivers, you know, good offense is going to beat good defense a lot of the time, and those receivers are excellent. Um, probably the best in the conference besides maybe Clemson's. Um, and I mean, sometimes those guys are just going to have a, have their way with you. Um, especially if your defensive line can't get home, you know, he just had way too much time to throw. So I'm not necessarily concerned from anything I saw, um, the other day. I mean, we'll have to see what Brenton's status is going forward and what they do there. But I thought Tim actually played a little better than he had, um, in this NC State game, and uh, Bryce had some really good moments. He had a kind of a sketchy pass interference call against him at one point. I don't really think he did anything, um, and that was a big penalty at the time. But I thought he played really well early in the game, and uh, and Jermaine, you know, Jermaine Crowell came in off the bench and kind of just did his job. Um, and and Joey Blunt, I think, you know, he graded out pretty well, so I think, uh, you know, he's a bright spot. But I'm not completely like ready to panic about it. But I mean. They could be in a tough spot if they can't get pressure on quarterbacks. Um, <clears throat> we'll get to a little bit more of sort of what um, what our expectations are. So I think that's going to be a good segue. Let's uh, take our first break of the night. Caps Corner Podcast, as it has been for the last few weeks, brought to you tonight by Ask Landis, a company based in Charlottesville that specializes in helping you downsize and declutter. They've served Central Virginia for the past decade. Um, Ask Landis and owner Stephen and, and Brandon Lloyd have been helping folks all over the region get from uh, point A to point B, as well as maybe clean out their homes and businesses. Um, not only do they remove everything that you want them to, but they also will recycle whenever possible. So maybe you've got a house that you want to put on the market. Maybe you got an old uh, you know, basement or a um, garage that you need to empty out. Um, don't do that yourself. Get Brandon and, and, and Stephen to help you. Um, and do that work for you. You can give them a call today for a free consultation, 434-249-8383, or you can visit their website at asklandis.com for more. Our thanks again to Ask Landis for their support of the show and all of calfscorner.com. All right, so Virginia now at 3-2. and two, um, I mean, look, we can look at this one of two ways, right? Uh, three more wins. I mean, look, I'm not going to be super picky, but uh, Liberty, Carolina, and Pitt seem um, ripe. Um I guess, Dave, I want to start here with you. Where do you where do you think this thing goes? Um, as you stand here now, we don't know, you know how long maybe Brent Nelson could be out. Would he be available next week? Because, <clears throat> excuse me, frankly, we all dropped the ball uh, talking to Bronco Mendenhall in the uh, ACC call today. And nobody asked about uh, Nelson. But where do you think this thing goes? And um, maybe not specifically just to Miami, but in, in the big picture. What are your expectations now going forward versus maybe where they were going into the season? I mean, I felt a lot better a week ago. I mean, <laughs> I was laughing driving home tonight from work, thinking about having to do the podcast we were going to talk about. It's like, you know, last week, you know, we, we had just won another game and 
tech had just spit the bit at ODU. We were riding pretty high. <laughs> now, now here I am. Um, I don't mean the things that concern me from Saturday. Um, I don't know that they'll continue to be as bad because um, I, I do think NC State would have a pretty good shot of winning the Coastal. Um, I don't know that they're on the same level across the board. They're close to Miami. They're closer than we are. Um, but, you know, looking at what lies ahead in the schedule, I think, you know, Miami is by far the best team left. I don't think any other game on the schedule is unwinnable, and I'm not even sure Miami is, except for what I saw Saturday, because <laughs> um, Miami's pretty vanilla, and NC State was pretty vanilla. So it will take, you know, I think Virginia was minus two in turnover Saturday again against State. Um, I said leading up to the podcast, I thought they'd have to get a possession or two, and they gave away a couple. Um, so it'll take something like that. But I think it's a great time time for a buy, not only for health, but I think you know there's film now, and I would like personally like to see some shuffling on the offensive line. Um, you know, I think there's some whatever they're doing now isn't working like it should. Um, the players are, are getting experience and there's been some individual games where guys have shined and, and it's something that's kind of been sticking in my cross since the game. It's, you know, I, I think I can't remember how uh, Touche phrases it, but basically he always talks about how he likes to have the five best guys out there, regardless of position. Five coins. And he says his whole thing about yeah. throwing five coins in a room and seeing who comes out with them. Yeah, and I don't know how I feel about that with the offensive line because if you go back and watch, rewatch the NC State game, the run blocking—it's not like our guys were getting devastated one on one. There were missed assignments. Like there was a couple plays where guys are running around not blocking anybody, while all of a sudden the lead back or the quarterback is dealing with two blockers coming at them. Um, and and I think that a lot of that has to go with constantly switching it up, like. I don't know that there was more than two drops a whole game where you had the same starting five offensive linemen. So if I could have anything, <laughs> defensive line, look, there, there's body issues, there, you know, there's injury issues, there's a lot of stuff. Not much they can do there other than hope the guys they have continue to get experience and, and get healthy. Um, offensive line, I think there are enough pieces, and I think they're just trying to find the right combination. Um, whether that's kicking Dylan out to tackle and moving Glazer to center or or getting Fannin back, maybe, which well, <laughs> I won't go into too much of that. But I mean, I think there's some things, and that's what I'd like to see coming out. Um, and then, you know, it, I think it's time to start being a little more dynamic on offense, hitting the edges more, letting OZ and TK get out in space. Um, maybe it's time to look at Billy Kemp for a couple games. Just if you can't run the ball right at him, like use the speed you have and, and, and try to scare him a little bit. I want to before forever, before I kick it over to you. I, I want to kind of harp on two things. One, as I asked a question today, I, as I am known to do, I was sort of thinking about it myself, and it's weird because when you don't have a game coming up in forty eight hours, you're, you you start thinking, you know, you start thinking about options and um, maybe avenues that you would not normally have thought about. So I mean, Virginia's in a place right now where. Like literally, they can come out next week and, and and completely revamp. They can move Dylan to you know out to tackle if they wanted to. They could have Glazer snap. They could do a lot of different things. I'm guessing uh, that given what Broncos said after the game to my question about you know how they would use the bye week and you know going to get rid of dead plays and they're going to um, evaluate everything. My guess is is we're going to see some changes because the offensive line can't continue to be what it is. But I will say this: 
I'm there was something that Bronco was asked about today about Bryce Perkins, and he said something to the effect of, you know, that they have not tried to implement Bryce as a part of the called like design run game because they've been trying to keep him healthy. I, I honestly, I, I don't think you're going to get to your potential uh, with this offensive line and the situation that they're sort of in as a collective group without maybe running him some. Do you think, Ferber, do you think that they need to, you know, incorporate that option that we've, I don't know, maybe been expecting slash um, um, we've been expecting slash thought was a, you know, thought was a, was a viable alternative do you do you do you think they should see more of that and and what how would you sort of diagnose what's going on with the offense right now yeah i mean are you talking specifically about like read plays or i mean just in general i mean because like what i saw in the spring was bryce perkins showing off ball skills what i've seen so far this year is bryce perkins handing the ball to people not pitching not tossing um there was a lot more pop pass there was a lot more you know i'm saying like shut like there was a lot of stuff i saw in the spring that has just not been called yeah, I mean, we've seen some of it. I think, it, honestly, I think what they do is they're still in a place in year three where they feel like, well, this is what we have. We have to try to make the best of it. And some stuff just isn't going to be available because we don't think we can hold blocks, right? So I think Dave was saying, like, a lot of the runs are up the middle. I think a lot of that is, like, they just want to get the ball through the line of scrimmage as quickly as they can because they don't feel like the guys on the edge are going to be able to hold the blocks or something. That's just a guess. I don't know. Um, I mean, they do run a lot of option-type plays. Um, in, in a sense, the the Ellis runs are like the triple option dive play, right? And then Perkins keepers are the ta- off-tackle stuff. And he hasn't been doing that as much against the teams that have better defense. I mean, like you saw in that Indiana game, they're bottling it up. I mean, when he keeps the ball, there's like two guys there. Um, and like the Ellis handoff to on third and four, that was much maligned. He said after the game, it was a read. He, he handed it off. He chose to do that. Um, and that might've been the right thing because I don't know what he saw. He might not have had any room to run. I don't have that replay right in front of me. Um, I mean, they've done a pretty good job of getting Zacchaeus the ball in the passing game, but you know, running him across as a decoy, I don't think that would be a bad thing. Trying to find ways to get Tavares Kelly the ball, um, except, you know, like obviously he's getting the ball like down the field more now. Um, in this game, he was targeted more than he has been in the past. So that was good to see. But, I mean, if he's that fast, maybe try to get him the ball where he can actually do something with it. Um, it seems like he's kind of in one-on-one coverage a lot when he's getting the ball and he's getting tackled. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know – as a coaching staff, like what they're seeing compared to what we're seeing with the line. Um, but this is something that we talked about in the summer and it's got to change like now. Um, the line has too long been a weakness. You know, it's going back to the previous coaching staff. It's, it's been something that it's like, well, if the line doesn't get in the way, then they could be okay. If they can get good quarterback play and the line is mediocre, then they can be okay. And eventually there has to, there, there has to be improvement there. Um, or, I mean, there's, you know, you're just going to have to figure something out because, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, they, they do well against teams that they can beat up on, um, teams with smaller defensive lines, teams that just aren't very good defensively. And then against better fronts, it's like, well, we can't really block. So this is kind of the scheme that we have to run. And they have to either water it down or they have to stick with a smaller group of plays or some stuff is eliminated from the playbook. And like Bronco said, you know, they have to go in and evaluate all that stuff and figure out you know, what plays they can eliminate, what they need to do more. So hopefully some good will come out of that. But I think it starts up front because 
anytime you give up nine tackles for a loss and four sacks, I think it was in one game. And there were a few plays where, you know, Perkins, like he, he would go to keep the ball and he would just immediately get tackled. And you can't just, you can't have that many negative plays against a good team. One thing I've noticed before we move to the defense, one thing I've noticed is, is that whereas a lot of quarterbacks will catch a, a, a shotgun snap and take a couple steps, Bryce basically stands still. I mean, he catches and holds. Um, I'm I'm curious if I mean because you're right. Like a lot of times, defenses are essentially just going to go to tackle him, um, <clears throat> which would seem seem a, a good idea even if he wasn't going to run. But I, I think Virginia has to do more with, to your point about moving Zacchaeus around. I I think that they've got to start utilizing Zacchaeus and Kelly against each other. They've done a lot so far this season to try to help the blocking. Right? They've they've basically moved Ryan Swoboda to like jumbo tight end and I don't think I've seen him actually go out on a route so, I mean it's basically he's an extra blocker um, they've tried to you know they're, they're using whether it's J- Jamari Peacock they've got this thing with Tanner Cowley where they split him out wide and he comes in and he crashes it, they've got I, I, I don't want to say that they shouldn't do any of that but I almost wonder if like if it's not we're helping you and you're just taking options off the field spread it out you know like if if nothing else um put Tavares Kelly in a position where he can catch a football and run. Um, Cause I think that the, the, if you look at the grades too, the wide receiver blocking has not been bad, you know, uh, Reed and, and Dubois have both blocked pretty well. So, I mean, overall, I think that they've got to figure out a way to get Bryce loose. They got to figure out a way to get, a, get something more sustainable on the line in order to have some sort of running game. <clears throat> and let's, let's move over to the defense, Dave. What's um, I mean, look, they're going to be without Richard Burney for the rest of the year. They're going to be without, uh, Jordan Mack for a few more weeks. We don't know Malcolm Cook's status. We don't know Brenton Nelson's status. But there's still, it feels like to me, there's still enough talent on this defense for them to be better than what they showed Saturday. I don't expect that to be a problem consistently. Uh, I just think NC State's offense was just maybe just that good. As you look forward in terms of expectations for this defense, how would you sort of characterize where they need to be and what needs to what needs to improve? I mean, it's tough. I. I don't want to like harp on peace too much. I mean, I think peace has been a little, uh, I guess, disappointing so far this year, given the way he performed last year. Um, now granted, you know, he, he's got a, <laughs> he's got to count on the defense line to tie up the blocks and they, they haven't been able to do that as well as any of us would have liked this year. Um, not to mention the, um, the frequency of which they are playing two down linemen with, with Snowden and, and peace, but you've got to figure out a way to establish to get some kind of pass rush. Um, I don't know how you do that mid season. You're not going to invent a new body. Um, I mean, I guess best case, um, the young guys, Redmond and uh, Famui get better, get more experience, have learned a little. Um, uh, Eli, like, I think Eli's been a little down this year, too. I don't know if that's playing in versus nose. Um, I don't know. He played quite a bit of nose against NC State when they did go three down, and he played a little bit against Louisville. So maybe figuring out a combination there. But when you start talking about three, four guys, you know, rotating through a defensive line, it's hard for those guys to keep pressure for an entire game, especially if you're not getting the defense, the offense off the field fast. So I don't know how much growth you can expect there. Um, the linebacker, the middle inside linebacker, you lose a guy like Jordan Mackey, he's hard to replace. If you would have asked, 
I know we don't like talking hypothetical injury stuff in the preseason, but if we had brought up the question, like who's the one defender you wouldn't want to lose this year, I would have said Mac, just because that's a position. I don't. He's a guy I don't think you can duplicate. Um, Zane's really good, and he, but he's young, and Mac's just so dynamic. But Snyder showed pretty well, you know. I mean, I hate to cop it out. I mean, I think, honestly, the defense just needs to get healthy. Um, there's enough pieces there. And, and the thing you need to get better, which is pass rush, I don't know that it can get better um, without reps. So, yeah, I'm just going to cop out and say they need to get healthy. That That's a fair – you know, that's fair. I, I think that as you look at what Mac meant to the, to the defense um, – his he he's not I, I forget where I saw this but he's not quite the the blitzer that that Kaiser was uh, you know maybe that'll come with experience I, obviously I think the thing they miss most is Andrew Brown um, his ability to demand double teams apparently was a really important thing because Chris Peace just hasn't had nearly as much uh, room to work um, teams are obviously you know able to to scheme for him a little bit better than they were last year Ferber, as you look at the defense, what are your sort of expectations for them going forward? What do, what do you expect to see other than, you know, Dylan Thompson having five sacks a game? Um, I, I think – I'm not expecting that, by the way, but um, but sure, you know, that would be great. Um, I think that, you know, what we saw in the second half against NC State might need to be the norm against teams with good offensive lines and good quarterbacks, finding other ways to get pressure. Um because I don't know if they can do it with the front. Uh, they're just more built. They're not really built to rush the passer. I mean, those guys aren't excellent at that. Hey, if Jawan Briggs wants to graduate from high school, like right now and play, I mean, that'd be great. But um, I don't think that's an option. Um, and I think they did a little better job in the second half of getting after the quarterback. Obviously, they didn't really get there. But um, the first half was like, you know, unsustainable. Uh, other than that, I mean, I, I think that. You know, they just have to continue to tackle well in the open field and, and try to turn these, like, potentially big plays into smaller plays. And I thought they did a pretty good job with that throughout the first half. You know, they they held them to three on the first drive, and, and they got down there again after the touchdown up 10-7, and, and they held them on that fourth down and then kind of got, you know, on the wrong side of a bad call or whatever. But, I mean, they kind of played Ben, but don't break until that point. And then after that, it was just, the you know, the floodgates kind of opened up and, I do expect them to be better against the run because it seems like it's more of a assignment sort of thing than it is a talent thing. Um, it seems like both the Indiana game and the NC State game, people were just not where they needed to be. Um, Bronco talked about he kind of stands behind the play. And, uh, you know, it didn't seem like they were forming a wall, you know, the way that they would want to and, you know, getting their run fits right. So I do expect them to improve there. And um, honestly, I think part of that was probably they were so worried about the pass that, you know, the run game just didn't really come into play until, you know, it happened to them. But, you know, th this could be the best offense that UVA sees the entire season. Um, I don't want people to freak out from this game and think that the whole defense is terrible. I mean, a week ago they gave up three points. So um, the truth is usually somewhere in the middle. I mean, you're not going to play a lot of teams as bad as Louisville. You're not going to play a lot of teams as good as NC State. Um Miami, you know, is a talented team, and we'll talk about them next week. But after that, I mean, you have a bunch of teams that, you know, if you play a good game on defense, even if you can't maybe generate an elite pass rush, if you can just get there a few times, you might be able to do something. I think they'd also you know, be in a much better spot if they could get Chris Moore healthy too because he's a yeah. he's a really versatile piece for them and a guy that can do a lot of different things. Go ahead, Dave. Or a guy like Dom Shepard. Like, 
Yeah, know, having him would have been nice. He, yeah, but what I was, what I didn't want to wanted to say that I forgot to was if there's ever a defense that is like this defense is so different when they're guarding a lead. Um, if you've got to abandon the run or become one dimensional, yeah. So I, I think this defense really needs the offense to start producing. Yeah, you know, once once they got a little lead on Louisville, the defense could start to do exotic stuff. Um, you know, when, when you've got two or three down linemen and you're covering run and pass, you've got to be gap sound. Um, you know, you're, you're covering two gaps when they're out of, when run doesn't really hurt you that much and they can just try to get to the quarterback. All of a sudden that pass rush becomes a lot more, you know, a lot more um, proficient. So, you know, if, if the offense can start putting more points on the board, I, I think some of the deficiencies deficiencies we saw Saturday with the defense aren't as dramatic. Um, <clears throat> before we move on, um, I want to say one thing that made me sort of crane my neck a little bit um, was the conversation that Bronco had today about um, red, or excuse me, grad transfers, transfers, bringing in guys for help on the defensive line. And he was, <clears throat> he was asked a question about uh, Cassius Pete and Dylan Thompson. And since obviously those two situations have not panned out to this point, as he said, um, you know, would he do anything differently or how would that change his approach? And he basically made the point that like, look, grad transfers and transfers in general has worked well for them. Um, but in this situation, they sort of tried to go out and find specifically defensive linemen and maybe they looked a little too hard. Um, I, I don't know if, if given what we knew about, I mean, if you think about it, what experience did Kurt Benkirk have at ECU? What experience did Bryce Perkins have at Arizona State? Um, granted, they hadn't been there, you know, years and years without playing, but in the way that Pete and Thompson had. Um, but in, in term, I, I, it's funny because I clearly the getting Bryce Perkins made this season, whatever the season, whatever success they have, it's going to be because of that. Um, and at the same time, it almost feels feels like it because they didn't get another sort of grad transfer or transfer on the defensive line. Um, that it could cost them, you know, especially as the as the injuries have mounted and that kind of thing. Um, but I do think, as to to Ferber's point earlier, like they're they're not going to play teams that are as good as NC State every week, and they're also not going to play teams as bad as Louisville. Uh, the rest of the schedule has a bunch, you know, a bunch of winnable games. And today's point about you know p- protecting a lead, um, once they they do seem to be pretty good at that. Uh, I think that's a really astute sort of observation, something that we, we will have to watch going forward. Um, before we get to the fifth side of the ball, let me take our last break. <clears throat> Cash Corner Podcast also brought to you tonight by Second String Sports and Stewart's Draft. Second String is all about offering you new and quality used sports equipment. So if you play baseball, softball, football, soccer, Second String has the gear that you need. Newest bats and gloves and gear from DeMarini, Louisville Slugger, Easton, Rawlins, Wilson, Eva Shield. It's all on the shelves there and ready to go home with you today. Now, let's say maybe you, you have a kid who played a sport last year. They don't need this thing anymore. Maybe you've got a kid who's playing something uh, new this, this year, and they do have some stuff that they need. You can always go to Second String, uh, and they will have you covered. Uh, you can check out what they have to offer at their store, which is just outside Waynesboro at 2627 Stewart's Draft Highway, or you can go to their website right now at secondstringsports.com, and that's second with a two. First string quality, first string service, second string sports. Our thanks again to Second String for their support of the show and all of CavsCorner.com. All right, what was our fifth side of the ball uh, topic here, Ferber? As I completely uh, lose control of the podcast, what? It what? wasn't mine this week. It was Dave's. All right, I Dave, what was your what was your fifth side of the ball again? Demonity travel. Oh my gosh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I remember. Okay, so it, it, I guess I don't want to. It didn't like, get called. <laughs> 
actually, I want to I want to sort of expand this into basketball hype versus the idea that like everybody needs to let the UMBC game go. Like, are we are folks not allowed to get excited about the season because of the way last season ended? Are folks not really are re- folks really going to be thinking about UMBC all year? I mean, I'm I'm talking about UVA fans, not trolls who will talk about it constantly. Like, we're, is, I mean, is it just me or does this whole thing feel weird? Gonna, those people are going to bring it up more than more than anyone. So, I mean, there's no reason to like harp on it no i'm not saying us three i'm just saying in general but hey virginia fans you you got the attention you were begging for all year last year yeah that was my (laughs) honestly that was and and maybe that was from like the sick part of my brain but that was like my reaction as i was watching the game you know it's kind of like uh the uh the captain in titanic when he looks at the guy and he's like you're gonna get your headlines or whatever when the ship's gonna sink like that's that's kind of what i was thinking too but i honestly i don't think about that game anymore and i can't speak for everybody but I'm sure. I mean, obviously, it's going to be brought up during the season, but and forever. But I don't like wake up in the middle of the night thinking about <laughs> it, or like it doesn't like send me into like an emotional tailspin. Every You're not time, looking like, to uh, to write a story about how everybody needs to let it go. I, no, I mean, I get that. I mean, I, I, I agree with that sentiment. It's just I don't I don't know if we need to talk about it that much anymore. I mean, I mean we're on to a new season and it will certainly, you know it will certainly be a big story once we get closer to spring and certainly I think it if you want to use it to sort of juxtapose what happened at the end of last year, contrast that against like how the kids are now, right? If you want to use if you want to use it to frame the comeback story so to speak, right, of how the kids have have responded to it the way you know they worked in the summer and what they've done differently and what they did what did they change anything like that makes sense to me like there will be a lot of stories whenever media day is where we ask guys like okay so in the response to that to the way last season ended i mean there's no way to sort of get around that at the same time like yeah you can't just avoid it like it never happened but at the same time it doesn't have to like be the headline to everything well it doesn't have to be the frame through which the entire season is viewed every game is viewed it's like it can't be a referendum. You know what I mean? Like it just, it, it that just, that's not how it works. It, and I feel like this team is stacked. Like whether Braxton key gets the waiver or not, this team is going to be really good. And so to, 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 well, I think it was Dave made the point earlier about Virginia fans getting the, the recognition that they've, you know, as a top program as they, that they wanted. I mean, realistically, they're going to be right back there and you're going to have to deal with the trolls who talk about it constantly. You know, you can, you're going to beat the crap out of some team some night and some troll is going to respond and say like, well, you know, but you didn't win this game. Like, that's just going to be a thing. I, I was talking to my sister about it um, this past weekend when I was in Raleigh and she's like, I'm, she, I'm just so tired of talking about UMBC. And I get it. Like as fans, like you're, you're just done. You, you, but it's one of those things like when the season starts, it's actually probably going to get, you know, in some play, in some ways more play. And then in some ways, none at all. You know what I mean? Like it, it will, it will fade into the background yeah. until spring. I think at the beginning of the season, it'll get a lot of play. And then obviously you'll have different announcers doing every game. It'll be like mentioned, but I mean, it'll get, it'd be like a throwaway, you know, kind of Mike London was a cop sort of thing. <laughs> um, and then, and then at the end, like if they get, if they're like a one seed or something again next year going into the tournament, then obviously it'll be an albatross hanging over them. Yeah. They, you know, play another 16 seed or something, but you know, that's, that's sports. I mean, if you, you know, you have to be able to take the good with the bad. It's not, you know, it, you can't, there's going to be stuff that happens that, that you have to kind of like deal with. And honestly, I think UVA fans should be the most prepared for this because they were dealing with these sorts of like taunts or whatever for so long because of the style of play. 
like it's it seems like it's it's just all rolled into that i mean it's just you know part of that narrative right and yeah. you know if they make a run to, to the final four this year maybe i don't think you'll really hear a lot about it anymore i mean it'll be a, a, a footnote in history and you'll see it every time people talk about big upsets and stuff, or if but. or if a, if a 16 is is in a game with a one and it's close you know yeah yeah and that's fine i mean whatever but they mentioned like Hampton beating Iowa State in 2000 or whatever it was all the time, but I don't think the Iowa State fans are like sulking over that now. Like, I mean, they're past it. I don't know. So. Do, I, do Iowa State fans hand ring as much as UVA fans do? Dave, you're suspiciously quiet over there. What do you? What do you? What do you uh, do? Did I lose you again? Did you, did lightning strike no. the house? I, I'm just so over the whole topic. Like, you know, if it's bugging you, you probably need to get right because it's going to be a long year if it's still bugging you. Um, I mean. Yeah, I mean, they're going to go play basketball again. Yeah, it's not like and, the and, last game ever. <laughs> yeah, and honestly, like, look, if they lose to a 16 again this year, I'll get right on board with this. But, um, I mean, Wait, I, I can't on, think pause. of a team. Dave has Dave sort of like made this sound like we were trying to talk about it. Like, we weren't really trying to talk about nah, it. We were sort of nah. like trying to talk around it. I mean, I still think people can get excited about this season and the stacked team that they have. I mean, Mamadi's out there, you know, shake and bake from, you know, however many feet. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's a shot he needs to be shooting, but um, it looked good in video. I, I think that there definitely are some some issues with this roster, but I I think that they're going to be really good, especially if if um, you know if if Diaki, if Diaki Day is is taking a step forward. But no, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're we're trying to sort of harp on it or talk no, about it. No, I'm saying you. I'm talking about the Virginia collective. fans who continue okay. to like get upset about it being brought up. Like it, it's going to be your your reality. Um, and if you're upset about it, I think it just means you haven't dealt with it personally. Like I'm fine with it. <laughs> All right, now wait a minute. I, I want I want to make make sure everybody knows that that was Dave's thought. Um, <laughs> I don't want your email. I don't want your DMs. Take that to take take that to Dave. He's who Dave's at uh, on Twitter and on the board. Because um, my sister will come after you with like claws because um, she, she listens to the show and she's definitely not over it. Um, I just think that we'll we'll, we'll end it on this. I, I kind of feel like. It, to Ferber's point, it will be a thing, and but it doesn't have to be the defining thing. Much like the you know people getting butthurt about the um, style of play, like that's that's a thing, but it's not like it doesn't have to be the thing. Um, and if you sort of if you sort of let it happen to you, then you know you kind of have your own self to blame. Um, anything else for the good order before we wrap up this week? All right, good. Uh, I was enjoy like, your bye week. I it, well, it's, technically it's not a bye week now. It's it's an open week. Right, a buy means you move forward. What is that? Is there a difference? I don't know. I just I saw I saw Norm Wood talking about that on Twitter about how it drives him crazy that people call it a bye week versus like an open date, and I just thought it was really funny and I wanted to toss it in there. Okay. Um, if you are somebody who found uh, the the website through the podcast, uh, very glad that you did. Um, feel free to you know subscribe. Um, it we have lots of content and Ferber writes a lot of words. Uh, if you are somebody who who is already on the on the uh, a subscriber at the website, but you have found the podcast and you really like it, feel free to give us a review. Um, Apple Podcast, whatever it is on Google, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast, rate review um, always helps folks to find the show. Uh, Want to thank Dave and Ferber for giving graciously of their time as always, especially on an open date week. 
Um, <laughs> that just doesn't even sound right. And uh, we will be back with you next week to preview the game against the Hurricanes. A 7 o'clock kickoff night game, Scott Stadium, coming off a bye. Should be a pretty packed house, according to my um, ticket aficionado, a.k.a. Ferber. Um, so it's it, it will get into that um, next week. So again, for David Spence and Justin Ferber, I'm Brad Franklin, publisher of CavsCorner.com. Thanks for coming out. We'll see you soon.